Welcome to Talking Wisely, a podcast about the insurtech space. I'm Jenna Earnshaw, head of revenue at WiseDocs. On this podcast, we invite thought leaders to discuss the intersection of insurance, healthcare, and technology. Learn how WiseDocs can help you innovate and the changes happening in our industry. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Talking Wisely. My name is Jenna, and I am very, very excited to have Rick Takeda on the call with me today. Um, Rick is the president of Takeda Capital Corporation. He's also the former CEO of York Risk Services Group. Rick, I would love to pass it over to you to introduce yourself a little bit. Uh, sure. Thank you, Jenna. Um, happy to be here. And I think you said it all. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's great to great to be here and looking forward to um, a lively discussion. Um, so why don't you tell us, start by telling us a little bit about Takeda Capital. Um, what do you guys do? Uh, so Takeda Capital is a family office that makes investments um, in uh, small to medium-sized businesses with an industry focus on insurance, healthcare, and software. Um, although opportunistic, uh, generally speaking, you know, we are looking for businesses that are high growth in industries that are going through some sort of uh, change or disruption and partnering with great leaders and great teams um, to uh, you know, build businesses and, and organizations that can change markets. Very cool. I love it. Um, so what's exciting you in the insurance industry at the moment, either on the technology side or trends that you're seeing? What I would start with on on um, insurance is, and you really need to look at insurance as two different marketplaces. On one side, you've got health, um, which is obviously massive um, globally, and especially here in the U.S. And then, and then the other half, you've got property casualty insurance, which is um, a whole different part of the market. On the health side, you know, I'm really excited about the use of technology uh, to improve patient outcomes, to improve patient experiences, um, and to impact patients' lives in a way that you know, hasn't been happened in the past. And you know, it's it's amazing, you know, how much is 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 happening and all the change that's in healthcare. And you know, if you look at the traditional way that we treated people. Um, which was primarily based off of physical medicine models, which is obviously still important. By physical medicine, I mean like somebody's you know has an ailment, give them a pill, right? Um, and now the change, uh, I think, much of which has been technology enabled, is looking not just the physical, but also the the psycho and the social. Um, and so, making sure that uh, whatever we're doing in terms of helping people's physical ailments, uh, we're also looking at their mental state and their community and society generally. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you think that has been impacted, especially recently with the pandemic and COVID? You know, it's been a very uh, tumultuous time for a lot of individuals. And how do you see what's happened with the pandemic impact some of the changes and innovations that you're seeing? Well, maybe I'll just speak more broadly for a second about the pandemic and its impact on healthcare, which, which obviously has been traumatic um, and and monumental. But w- one of the stories that I see in 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 healthcare um, relating to the pandemic that um, has yet to play out, but I think is going to be really important, is um, 
the relationship that you know people in society have with healthcare professionals and the healthcare infrastructure. And I think if you talk to some of the, the real smart doctors, one of the things they're work, worried about is a breakdown in in trust um, because there's been uh, you know th- th- there's been so much information that came out um, around uh, COVID uh, from all different sides of the ideological spectrum. And sort of, it was like, well, who is the expert here? Right. And, and suddenly everybody therefore becomes an expert. Um, and, you know, people have, you know, sort of said, okay, well, should we be following the CDC? Should I be following my local doctors? Should I be following local hospital trends? And what we've, what we've, I think determined, um, is that you know nobody really knew what was happening with this pandemic, um, and it's it's evolved, it's changed, it's a virus. The virus is smarter than the experts, um, was one of the great lines that I heard, um, and is evolving faster than the experts can can track it. Um, and so you know I'm uh, concerned to some extent in you know people's breakdown in confidence in the healthcare system. Um, and healthcare expertise, and so that that's sort of one of the broad things that uh, is a story that that's yet to play out. But you know, more specific to um, to your question, um, you know, there, there's there's a, a a clear societal impact around mental health um, that I think that uh, is going to be with us for for quite some time. And you know, it's it's across all different age groups, but I think in some ways it's most acutely in young adults. Um, the, the fear and the isolation um, that that came with needing to quarantine and you know and, and protect people um, during the the heights of the, the pandemic has just led to a, an incredible amount of um, of you know, mental health issues. Uh, uh, in addition to the work that you know I do professionally, I also sit on the board of our local um, healthcare system here in California, and uh, you know the the mental health. Um, uh, services that that, uh, that that the healthcare system provided, you know, circa 19, 2019, we were like sort of trying to advertise and attract and get people to to come. Um, and then throughout the pandemic, the demand just exploded um, to the point where there's you know waiting lists to get mental health services. And you know, in healthcare, generally waiting lists are bad, but in mental health services, though, I think they're particularly acute um, because you know people are you know people who are reaching out are obviously in a position of being um, in pain or, uh, or or worse, you know, dangerous to themselves. Um, and so, I, I think that that's a, a, a major impact that this you know that the pandemics had on the negative that we need to to, to work through. On, on the positive side of things. The world really rallied around trying to find solutions um, to uh, to to COVID nineteen and and the you know the, the various different evolving variants um, coming out of um, the first one in two thousand nineteen, but and that was you know in some ways heartening, right? You saw you know coordination across countries, coordination across um, agencies within the U.S. Um, and you know, even though I think that the the solutions were were imperfect, it was sort of good to see, you know, in these times when there's so much division, it was good to see um, people working on a on you know on, on a common solution. Um, one of the things that I've seen that was accelerated during COVID is um, you, know, you know technology and and health and, and health tech uh, needed to evolve in, in ways that. Um, 
that, that didn't focus on somebody being inside of a hospital, right, or inside of a healthcare facility, because you know, especially when when um, you know transmission rates were peaking, it was very hard to actually do that, right? It was you know the, the hospitals were were focused on COVID number one, and number two, no one wanted to go to the hospital because you know you, you that was a place where you you thought that you potentially um, could get COVID. Uh, but anyway, so what you saw of that is, you know, a, a rise of telemedicine, uh, a rise of wearables, um, uh, wearables, everything from uh, virtual reality headsets that are helping with chronic pain or um, postpartum depression, um, uh, wearables that were helping people enhance their ability to do physical therapy after an injury and to do that remotely. And um, you know, I think that that's great. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, there is a place um, for it, there will always be a place for being in person and um, and being inside uh, a facility, whether that's a hospital or a PT or a doctor's office. But the the ability to self serve um, and do that remotely, I think, is one of the you know one, one of the uh, the changes that came out of the pandemic that's going to be here to stay. Yeah, definitely. I felt that myself. I have a family doctor that I'd been going to for a long time. COVID hit, things got really crazy. I found out I no longer have a family doctor. They're kind of like, we just can't support you anymore. I'm like, okay, well, where do I go? What do I do? I, I don't know. You have to figure that out. Um, and it was a really interesting experience. And then I think that's where a lot of people, myself included, anytime you needed, talk to a doctor, it was straight to the the telemedicine, uh, kind of the, the, the teledocs, all of these ones that exist online that are just so much easier to access. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, personally, I, I saw that shift and it definitely has been a big shift for everyone. So it sounds like wearables is something that's getting you excited as well. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about some of the other tech innovation that you think is really interesting on the insurance side, um, on the life insurance side with the mental health? On the sort of so move from the, um, you know, from the group health side to the to the property casualty side of things, uh, you know, again, technology has a huge amount to a, a huge role to, to play. And, you know, the area that I would that, that I'm most excited about um, on the on the PNC side um, is the use of um, data sciences broadly, which is a broad term um, that you know encompasses machine learning, encompasses artificial intelligence, which are also you know broad terms. Uh, but uh, you know when you're looking at um, you know something bad happens, right? Whether that's a auto accident or a hurricane hitting a building or somebody getting injured at work. And there's um, a promise that the insurance industry has made, you know, based off of premiums that have been paid into it, that uh, the the risk-bearing entities, the carriers or the self-insured, will help that person or that organization get back to work, get back to health, get back to productivity, get back to purpose. Um, and in doing so, there's a process called claims adjudication. You all know this at Wise Docs. Um, and you know, m- much of what, what's done in that claims adjudication um, process is based off of you know, really smart professional people who are helping to adjudicate that claim and, and get those promises f- fulfilled. And there's strategic aspects and there's judgment. And I don't want to at all discount um, what, uh, uh, what, what claims organizations or claim staff or case managers do. But there's also um, a lot of the daily activity that is repeatable, rational, and, um, and you know, somewhat rote. Um, and so I think that, you know, technology is going to have a big part in 
uh, helping take those, um, you know, more repeatable and, and, you know, less strategic tasks that, you know, people are currently performing and to provide, you know, some sort of automation around that, whether that's uh, robotic process engineering um, or automation through chatbots, through self-servicing, um, or um, focusing the, the the human, the person, the claims adjuster on the areas and the um, of, of an individual claim or the claims within uh, a caseload that are most impactful. Um, so being able to look through the data to make sense of the data um, in a way that is, you know, that that's that, that, that a single mind can't do, right? Um, you know, one person can only, you know, have you know, so many uh, things in their mind at, at, at one time. But if you're looking at, you know, sort of a, like an artificial intelligence-like model, you can look at numerous different pieces of data that are changing every single day and say, hey, you know, um, tomorrow, these are the five things that we should be focused on because these are the ones that have the most impact on an individual claim or an individual caseload. And I, I think that the the, the, the the claims world has been sort of looking and talking about this for quite some time. But, the you know, the promise of artificial intelligence really hasn't happened yet but there's a number of you know of, of people and organizations that are starting to work on that and you know i think in 10 years things will look very different than they did 10 years ago um or even today yeah definitely and i think part of that as well is how people understand what artificial intelligence artificial intelligence is what data science means what is machine learning um and really coming to grasp with with what it can do and can't do we have these conversations sometimes where you know, explaining the difference that artificial intelligence, it takes training and it takes time and it takes time to get it right. And there's a process involved to get it there. You know, you don't just kind of turn on turn on AI and the next day you have a hundred percent sentient being that can just <laughs> run an entire, an entire claims organization. It just doesn't work that way. Um, so we've definitely found that with just the learning and the enablement and education around this is something that takes time and pro progress is incremental, but once you get that, it's then repeatable. And I think that's, that's something that really excites us as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it, and it's it's true, you know, both on the data side and the and the and the non data side. On you know, on the, on the data side, the more data that you're getting in, the more you can train your models and your algorithms. The more um, they can be accurate and provide you know deeper insights and other actionable um, uh, outputs. But you know, when I think of artificial intelligence, um, you know, clearly the the machine learning aspect has has a piece to it. Um, but there's all these other cognitive engines that are outside of just pure data science that that need to be and eventually will be applied uh, to artificial intelligence. And, you know, with that, I'm meaning like automated translation services, um, automated video services, automated avatar services, you know. I mean, what what we've grown up with, you know, text and chat in 10, 15 years is going to be a, you know, fully virtual 2D avatar um, uh, that's able to, to communicate. I think it's, it's a time of incredible change and it'll sort of like each year it will feel like it's slow, but when we look back over 10 years, it will feel like, you know, there's been a tremendous amount of change. Yeah, definitely. And the change that you're seeing in the claims industry at the moment, do you think that is driven by startups? Do you think that there are large organizations um, some of the the kind of key players that are moving the needle is it a combination? Um, where are you seeing this innovation come from? It, it, that may be in in the you know uh, you know where where you where you stand depending on depends on where you sit um, perspective. Um, 
you know, I think big organ, it, it, you know, I ran a fairly large organization. It's, it's hard to make change in big organizations. I'm so it's almost cliche by saying that, but it really is true because, you know, you've got thousands of people who are doing things in a certain way and, you know, asking them to do it in, uh, you know, in a different way is, is a heavy lift. Um, so that being said, I do think that some of the, you know, the innovative um, claims organizations are, you know, absolutely open to and focused on, on, on innovation. It's just harder. Um, on, the, on the startup side of things, they sort of have the opposite. So they don't have all this legacy operational infrastructure, but they don't have volume, right? They can't train models. They don't have clients. They, haven't, they don't have, you know, um, they haven't proven themselves in the market yet. Um, but I, so I, it's going to be a mix, but I, you know, I think that there's uh, a ton of room for startups in the, in the, in the claims industry and that will they all be successful? Clearly not. Um, but there will be opportunities, uh, uh, for some startups or emerge. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, a digital TPA startup that's, that's, uh, you know, somewhat still in stealth mode. So I won't mention who they are, but, you know, they're very much trying to create a new model of, um, uh, of claims administration for, uh, property casualty and workers' comp insurance adjusting that, that sort of leans into technology and artificial intelligence and automation, um, as a starting point, not as, and, you know, not, not necessarily as just, um, uh, outputs and insights that are augmenting, uh, you know, existing adjusters and their judgment. And you mentioned it that, and I would like to dig into it a little bit. Um, obviously, you ran a very successful company with your Chris services. Um, I'd love to just learn a little bit more about your experiences, um, how you guys approached innovation, new technology, um, and maybe some of the things that just excited you about your time there. Uh, so, so I was I was with York for um, nearly ne- nearly fifteen years, and the core innovation that that we I think brought to bear on the insurance market wasn't necessarily um, technology, although it was certainly tech enabled. It was the idea uh, that when you're taking care of um, you know, of a, of a person or an organization when you're trying to fulfill this promise that in, insurance um, needs to fulfill. And I'll just take you know, one step back. Insurance, you know, as boring and like can kill any conversation at a cocktail party is, it's really important um, in terms of making sure that the economy functions correctly and, and has been for hundreds and hundreds of years. You you just cannot take the, um, the level of risk to move an economy forward and to create innovation um, unless you have insurance and that, you know, started way back in London when ships were going overseas, you just would never risk your ship going overseas unless you had some insurance and you could spread out the risk. And so, um, um, you know, important for organizations, important for businesses, important for the public sector, important for individuals. Um, that's just, just something to keep in mind when I say this. Um, when I think about um, what, what we did um, in our effort to fulfill that promise, um, getting people, getting organizations back to work, back to health, back to purpose. We uh, took the philosophy that we wanted to have a fully integrated solution. And so not just the insurance piece, right? Not just like, you know, not just adjust the insurance claim, um, but 
um, if somebody was injured, bring clinical expertise in order to help that person get healthy. Um, and uh, if somebody, you know, has, uh, you know, had had, you know, property damage, you know, bringing the proper amount of expertise around adjusting services and around remediation and, and, around, and making sure that we were looking at, you know, not individual parts of the claims adjudication process, but the holistic outcome that we were trying to, to produce. And I think when I look back at, at York, we were, you know, we were instrumental in pushing that change um, over, over 15 years. Um, when I entered the industry, uh, it was very much, you know, claims, organizations just did claims and then you've had partners that or you know vendors that did everything else and uh you know again vertically integrating a solution set um, versus just being one piece of it wasn't necessarily something that was natural to the organization there was there was it was a heavy lift and you know now it's very much the industry norm but that was a, an important thing that i think that york did during my tenure very cool yeah see not lots of success coming out of york so that's really exciting I'm curious. Um, you started off, and you have a you have a law degree, right? <laughs> I do. Yes. How did you make that transition from law into running, you know, very successful insurance companies to now innovating, sitting on boards? So my background, um, even prior to law school, is I, I spent four plus four between four and five years in Washington D.C. This is during the uh, the Clinton administration, and during that time, I sort of worked um, in and around uh, public policy, public health issues. My, I come from a healthcare background. My dad's a, a neuroradiologist, um, but also environmental issues and the relationship between environment and and, and health. Um, and you know, went to law school thinking I was going to continue um, to stay uh, in those industries. Um, uh, this was in. 2000, uh, pardon me, uh, 1998 that I, that I went into law school. Um, that was during the first dot-com boom and bust. Um, and I had the good fortune of being at Stanford Law School, so sort of in the middle of Silicon Valley, um, and meeting a bunch of people who were just involved with entrepreneurship um, broadly. Uh, and you know, through through uh, you know th- through through my experience uh, at, at Stanford, got exposed to people who were buying small companies with the hope of transforming those companies. Um, and it was a way of getting into entrepreneurship without necessarily having a really great new idea, right? Um, uh, and it's a, it's a model that is sort of become known as um, entrepreneurship through acquisition or search funds. Um, and, and so that's, so that's what I did. I, and I, I had the good fortune of, of, um, meeting some people who were willing to back me to go buy a company. Uh, we were originally looking at buying companies in the group health space, given my, my background, family background in, in health. And I'd worked in hospitals and like, you know, in, in high school and the like, but found, um, a third party administrator in the casualty space. Um, and, you know, sort of had this idea of, bringing some of the concepts of medical um, care and managed care into uh, at the time that was a, it was a, it was a TPA that was primarily focused on workers comp, which was an injury based model um, and sort of taking that vertical integration uh, solution set um, and bring that to bear uh, was, uh, was what was happening on the health side. So we thought, why don't we bring that into the workers comp marketplace? And so 
that's how it got started. Um, so myself and a group of partners um, had the great fortune of teaming up with a really great management team and some really, really smart people at a, a small TPA called Southern California Risk Management. And from there, we grew it and had great financial backers and ended up creating York. It's a very interesting way of starting. I remember seeing the law thing and thought, wow, that's quite quite the jump, but the entrepreneurship component in there and kind of the desire to build and be entrepreneurial. I love that. That's something that we value really, really highly as well. Great. I think this has been an amazing conversation today. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us? No, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I think it's great that uh, you all at Wise Docs are, are doing these podcasts. And um, yeah, it was great to, great to spend time with you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for the time today, Rick. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talking Wisely. I'm Jenna Earnshaw, your host. Find out more about WiseDocs and the Talking Wisely podcast on our website, wisedocs.ai. Thank you.